0: So we've been in this series called Hindsight
1: is 2020 for a couple weeks. Ordinarily in January, what we do is we take the four weeks or five weeks of January. We take four weeks in the month of January to talk about our four core values as a church. We talk about what it means to put God first, and we use the word worship, and we use the metaphor of air to talk about those things. We talk about what it means to be in relationship with other people, in a godly, wholesome relationship with God's people, and that is what we call community, and we use the metaphor of fire to talk about that. We talk about spiritual growth and what it means to become the person that God wants you to be. We use the word growth to talk about that, and the metaphor is earth. Today, we're going to talk about our fourth core value. The fourth core value is when we realize we have all these other things that God has given to us, and now he's called us to share those things with the rest of the world. We are supposed to share our relationship with God with the rest of the world. We're supposed to share the community that we've developed with the rest of the world and invite them into it. We're supposed to grow spiritually and help other people to grow spiritually, even if they haven't yet made a commitment of faith to Jesus yet. We are supposed to bless the world with what we've been blessed with. And we call that ministry. The Bible uses the word ministry to refer to that. And we use the metaphor of water. Now, today, I'm going to do a little hindsight work with you. For the past, I don't know, couple of months, few months, uh, in, in many ways I've been feeling like the, the year of 2020 was a year of me trying to walk on eggshells, not exactly sure how to do church, not exactly how to do live stream, not exactly sure what to say from the stage, not exactly sure what to say from a video blog, what, not exactly sure what to put into a blog post. I've been confused all year long. And one of the biggest things that I haven't really talked much about is the video that I posted last year, asking for people to retain their loyalty away from Donald Trump and put it in Jesus. Well, at that time, when I made that video, a number of people in the church left, and I was afraid of that. But I had hoped that our commitment to the community and our commitment to each other would have allowed us to talk about difficult things, even though um, apparently we weren't able to talk through those things as much. But there was a fascinating thing that showed up in my heart as I was going through all of that. I was hearing people use words about our church that I had never heard used before the word that was used was not that our church was becoming a Democrat church. The word that was being used was that our church was becoming an activist church, and that I was becoming an activist person. And I was confused about that, because as far as I was concerned, I wasn't trying to turn our church in any direction other than what we have been going on for the last 15 or so years of our existence. In fact, what I want to do most of all today Is give you the clearest possible picture you can have with regard to what it means to make a commitment to this church. And the church that we are today, and the church that we were last year, and the church that we are next year is the same church on the same journey, but hopefully better as we move forward. Let me share with you what our fourth core value says. It says this, the world needs my water. We use the water metaphor to remind us that Jesus gives us living water, and we are supposed to pass that on to others. It says, I have the living water in me. Infinite refreshment is mine in Christ, and I unlock it in me when I give it to others. I eagerly risk embarrassment to offer others the living water of Jesus. There's just one problem with this formulation, It's a little bit vague, but particularly it's vague with regard to what I'm supposed to do. It says I am supposed to eagerly risk embarrassment to offer others the living water of Jesus, but it doesn't say what the living water looks like in real life. And so, very frequently, we can get the misunderstanding that our job as Christians is to help other people hear the message of Jesus. Our job as Christians is to help other people hear about Jesus, some truths about Jesus, or maybe to help other people hear the commands of Jesus. What does it mean to give people the living water of Jesus? Well, that's one of the reasons why all of these statements have a second paragraph for our community. For those who make a commitment to be part of our church family, we have a second paragraph and this one says this, specifically, I employ everything I am and everything I have for the benefit of others, beginning in this church and extending to the world around me. To help others find full life in Christ, I will work to serve them, befriend them, share my faith with them, invite them to join me in this church and help them to know the gospel so they can so they too can experience the life I've been given. I will rely on God to refresh me as I strive to refresh others. And again, one of the misunderstandings that we can get through a statement like this is that our job as the church is to give people the gospel. And the gospel, we in, you know, my life experience, the, the white culture, evangelical church that I grew up in, the word gospel always means one thing and one thing only. You are a sinner. Jesus died to forgive you for your sins. He rose again to demonstrate that he is who he claimed he was. And you have an opportunity and a responsibility to pray and ask him into your heart. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. That is the gospel. Because then you have the promise of eternal life in heaven. The gospel is that. And most of my life it was that. And if you read this, you know, just read it quickly, that might be your impression too but remember what it said earlier. It said, I employ everything I am and everything I have for the benefit of others. And I want to say, if leveraging my whole life for the sake of others is being an activist, then we as a church have been an activist church for at least a decade. And you, who have signed the commitment forms in the past, have been activist people for at least a decade. We just might not be doing it all that well. As I look back at 2020, my big question is, were we actually doing this in the years before? Were we actually employing everything we had for the benefit of others? Or were we doing mostly the benefit of us and a little bit the benefit of others? What we're going to be doing today is we're going to be hearing from Pastor Rodney Lynch. And I asked him to be the person I would interview for this Sunday for a number of reasons. One, he's a pastor in this town. Number two, he's a Christian. That's of course even better than being a pastor. We're connected that way. Number three, he's a friend of mine. Number four, he's a black man. And number five, he is an activist. And I wanted to hear from his perspective what he learned over this last year. My interview with him took 50 minutes. I chopped it down heavily. I'm going to post the full interview later this week. I highly encourage you to watch it. But I chopped it down a little bit today because I knew some of us couldn't handle all of what he said. In fact, when I first met him four years ago, I couldn't handle what he said. I had an upbringing and a journey in life that led me to some false understandings and false beliefs. Things that the last four years, my relationship with Rodney in particular, have helped me to move away from. And so before I play his stuff, I I need to share with you a little bit of my journey coming through where I've come through. Uh, these are things that I absorbed from my upbringing I'm saying that i I was taught them but I wasn't taught them like in the sense of my dad preached on it or I was sitting in a classroom and people told me these things outright I mean in conversations conversations that I overheard from other people conversations that people said to me not fully formed in these particular statements but this is what I absorbed from my upbringing one of the first things I absorbed in the relationship between white churches and black churches is is that it's unfair that black churches get to talk about politics. I learned at some point in time that white churches have the IRS to answer to. And if we say anything political from the stage, then the IRS can remove our tax-exempt status. But for some reason, as I grew up, I was told that the black churches never really had that problem. They were sort of exempt from the IRS's stuff. And so that's one of the reasons why politicians would always show up in black churches and stuff like that would get televised. And that was one of the things that I learned from my upbringing. It is not true... But it's one of the things that I learned from my upbringing. Another thing that I learned is that black churches are missing out on the gospel with all of their focus on quote-unquote politics. I was actually raised with the mindset that said some of these churches in the world, a lot of the black churches are focused too much on politics. I was also led to believe that a lot of white churches were focused too much on spiritual expression, speaking in tongues, singing songs that were too rambunctious or whatever. I was led to believe a lot of criticisms about other churches that weren't my church or my church tradition. And that is one of the biggest ones because It involves a racial issue, not just a theological disagreement. It was that black churches are missing out on the gospel with all of their focus on politics. But I tell you, I was never taught the theological or historical reasons that black churches are the way they are. In the last four years, I have learned one of the reasons black churches and white churches are different is that back in the days of slavery, when black people were becoming Christians, the white slave owners didn't want to attend the same church with their slave. They didn't want to sing songs with their slave next to them. They didn't want to worship the God of liberation, freedom, grace, and forgiveness and with the slave next to them. And so back in those early days, they wouldn't let the slaves attend the same churches, and so slaves had to develop their own church. They had to develop their own sort of sense of religion, and as a result, doctrine was never really high on the hearts of the slaves because they were never taught it. In fact, after the Emancipation Proclamation and after slaves were set free, the white people who controlled the schools still would not allow the black Christians to attend those schools and learn anything, and so the black pastors were completely on their own for over a century it's one of the reasons why the southern baptists split off from the northern baptists and it's also one of the reasons why democratic politics are so important to black churches because the democrats for about a century have been the only ones who really talked about or cared about the relational dynamics the racial dynamics in our country Things I was actually taught in seminary, though, were these. Social justice is another gospel and a false gospel. I was taught in seminary that there was a thing called liberation theology. You're going to hear the word liberation today come out of Rodney's mouth. Liberation theology is the idea that Jesus came to set the captives free. Regardless of the fact that Luke 4 actually says Jesus came to set the captives free, I was taught that that was supposed to be metaphorical and spiritual alone. And that the real gospel is Jesus setting the spiritual captives free by giving them spiritual freedom, by giving them forgiveness for sins and the promise of eternity in heaven. I was taught literally that social justice issues were taking away from the gospel, not a part of the gospel but I was never taught how or why Christians should be involved in public policy except to end abortion, lower taxes, and preserve religious freedom. For some reason, for some reason, I was taught that it was part of the Christian community and the Christian faith that getting rid of abortion as a policy measure, lowering taxes as a policy measure, and preserving religious freedom as a policy measure should be part of the conversation of the church. I am fascinated that I have learned so much from the last four years, from Rodney and my other relationships with African-American pastors in this community. And I know I've explained just a little bit of my journey that isn't just the last four years. It's taken me over 40 to come to these conclusions in some areas. And I don't imagine that I'm going to be sharing with you things today that are just going to make perfect total sense. I don't imagine that I'm going to say the words and you're going to be like, oh, that makes sense. I imagine that some of the things that I say and some of the things that you hear Rodney say in these videos are going to be challenging, uncomfortable, and perhaps even make you a little bit mad. But I have made a commitment to listen to my brothers and sisters in the faith. And I've made a commitment to listen long enough that I will understand not just what they say, but where they're coming from. And so I encourage you, first of all, this is going to take a while. My interview with Rodney has been chopped down a lot, but it still is almost 30 minutes. And I'm going to make some comments in between the little clips. And so maybe you need to go up and get a snack or make some popcorn or something. But here's my promise to you. Take a deep breath. You can handle this and it's going to be good. God is going to do something in your heart and in your life through what you hear Rodney say and hopefully through what you hear me read from scripture for you as well. So buckle up or leave the room and get a snack, but here we go. We're going to get rolling in this. I want to play for you the first clip where Rodney introduces himself a little bit and let's roll that now. Hey, everybody. I want to thank you for joining us. I'm here with Pastor Rodney Lynch, a fellow who's becoming a really good friend of mine, even when he challenges me in ways that make me feel uncomfortable. So, um, I want to thank him for being here with us. I want to thank you for joining us on this video and we'll get into it. So, Rodney, uh, thanks Jeff, for joining us. Thank thanks you. for joining us with this. I, I want to start by just asking you to introduce yourself a little sure. bit, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry,
0: sure. and uh, then we'll we'll just start sure, there. Sure, sure. I'm Rodney Lynch. I serve as pastor and director of the Baptist Student Foundation at Purdue University. Been there four years, from New Jersey by way of Alabama, roll tide, another championship this year. <laughs> I'm a huge Alabama football fan. Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, left there at the age of two and grew up, spent most of my life in Inglewood, New Jersey. Um married, wife and three sons, 22, 21, and 16. Um, and so living <coughs> live in West Lafayette and glad to be here.
1: Now, you uh, have indicated to me before that this whole Lafayette thing for you is a reluctant <laughs> Lafayette thing. <laughs> is, is that, is yeah. it growing
0: on you yet? W- huh? Not really. Uh, So, so Inglewood is very close to New York City. So, I am a city person. I love the city. I love to be able to go outside at midnight and get some something decent to eat that's not franchise. You know, things of that nature. You know, um, so. So the you know the the Greater Lafayette culture hasn't worn or Indiana has not worn on me at all. <laughs> you haven't grown
1: into this nah. extreme cultural nah. diversity that we have going on here in this <laughs> at all. in this community. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell us a little but bit more. Let me
0: say this. Okay. I love being here because it's such it's so prime with opportunity to do ministry. Mm. I mean. What better place to, than to be right now than in this community? Um, um, Tell
1: us a little more about that. What is what is the nature of your ministry uh, on Purdue's campus and beyond Purdue's campus?
0: Dude, it's just usual campus ministry things. You know, we have service on um, Sundays at eleven a.m. T- till about 12, twelve twelve thirty, and we usually go have lunch afterwards to continue the fellowship to get one, to one to get to know one another. Uh, We have midweek, what I call authentic dialogue slash Bible study. Authentic dialogue I got from James Foster, actually, when I first moved here. Yeah. He shared that term with me, and we've been using that term ever since. And then in the ministry, we, we part, we do partnerships too, which is really crucial. Okay. We partner with, uh, the Wesley Foundation, the United Methodist Church, or campus ministry. Um, and we do like coffee houses and other gatherings. Things have kind of changed since COVID, of course. But um, two of our biggest partnerships is with Ace Food Pantry, which is um, run by C- Civic Engagement and Leadership Development Department at Purdue. Uh, but they, it's, in our, it's housed in our building. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the only food pantry on the West Lafayette side. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and we also partner with, uh, just recently, we partnered with Mental Health America, to um, help the students have they have what's called the less talk where students can have an opportunity to come talk to some professional um, therapists while they are waiting to get into CAPS at Purdue, which is counseling and psychological the counseling and psychological um, services there at Purdue. Sometimes it could be a long wait, like two to three weeks. And so in the meanwhile, while folks are waiting. Um, we we want student, We want to create that space for students to have an opportunity to at least start sharing and talking about what's going on, to 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 keep them, you know, alive.
1: So your ministry is uh, ministry to students, just like any of the other campus ministries. Correct. But you're also doing some things like a church would do, uh, In a general community, like the food pantry and and some other correct services. Yep. But yeah. But that's not your only ministry in this town. Uh, no. You're also yeah. ser- currently serving as the president. Yes. Of an important organization. Tell us a little more of
0: that. Yes, just recently um, was voted to be the president of the Pastors' Alliance in the greater Lafayette area. Um, uh, and I, what I, is I, the Pastors' Alliance? <laughs> oh, The Pastors' Alliance is a group of predominantly African-American pastors, plus Jeff, <laughs> 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 where we come together to, um, to support one another, number one. You know, it's really, really a, a great source of support for particularly African American pastors in this community, right? And then, you know, we, we, we seek to address social, spiritual and social issues in the community, in addition to having, um, services like, uh, MLK commemoration service, Black History Month service, uh, we kick off every year with a, um, em- not emancipation, but a, uh, watch night service. Mm-hmm. Um, on New Year's Eve. And for those that don't know what Watch Night Service is, <laughs> I don't expect white people to know this. No, but, we don't. We don't. <laughs> but Watch Night Service is uh, a service where in 1864, all the enslaved people were waiting for um, Abraham Lincoln to sign into law. Um, the the uh emancipation proclamation that that freed the enslaved people so um december 31st of of 1864 that night um they was waiting in uh in all type of you know quote unquote type of churches mm-hmm. and um waiting for 12 midnight for um the That's emancipation proclamation to an go into effect. Yeah. effect um january 1st 1865 Yep. So that's why Black folks get together for centuries to f- commemorate that that emancipation uh, proclamation when enslaved people were well, enslavement was no longer legal except through the criminal justice system, but that's another story.
1: <laughs> so Rodney serves as the president of the Pastors Alliance. And I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit, but I wanted to share with you some of the quotes that he said during that little clip that I thought were worth worth mentioning. He said, I love being here because it's so prime with opportunity to do ministry. Hey, that's the title of our message today. Uh, we're doing the ministry as the topic today. And he said, the thing he loves about Lafayette. Listen, he's got a lot that he doesn't love about Lafayette, coming from right outside of New York City. But he loves Lafayette because of the opportunity to do ministry. I I think that's my main reason for loving Lafayette as well. Anyway, what better place, he says, to be right now than in this community? He's looking at this community with optimism. i got to tell you, in the four interviews that I did this last month with different pastors— Rodney's was by far the most optimistic and hopeful, while Rodney himself is also the most blunt about what's wrong. Anyway, he was the most optimistic and hopeful, and also, ironically, my conversation with him had the most scripture passage references more than any of the other interviews that I had. But he had this one quote that I, I hope you picked up on. He said, I don't expect white people to know this. When he was talking about the watch night service, I don't expect white people to know this. Do you know why he can say that so bluntly that I don't expect white people to know this? It's because white people never show up at the emancipation services. I didn't even know it existed until a number of years ago when I built a friendship with James Foster. I built a friendship with James Foster because I was serving in an organization called the Tippecanoe Evangelical Association of Ministers and Ministries. And we didn't care and didn't know that there was another organization called the Pastors' Alliance. Because the Tippecanoe Evangelical Association of Ministers and Ministries was a bunch of white pastors, And we were doing white pastor kinds of things. We were talking about buildings. We were talking about vision. We were talking about discipling our churches and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until James Foster crossed the line to join that group of churches, that group of pastors, that group of leaders, that my eyes began to get opened to the African-American community of churches here in in this city and in this county. And as a matter of fact, When I was in team, I became the president of team and felt such a burden that we need to do something better racially to connect the two groups of pastors together. I felt such a burden on that, that I began to talk to James and to other pastors about what the roadblocks were. And one of the roadblocks was the word evangelical, for crying out loud. I had no idea. For me, growing up in in a white evangelical, and I say white evangelical because my church was white, and it was an evangelical church, and I'm not saying it was white because we desired it to be white. I'm saying it was white just cuz all the people there were white. It was a white evangelical church and that's what I grew up in. I thought that evangelical meant people who believe the Bible and people who think you need to make an de- individual decision to receive Christ. As I got older, I began to learn that back 100, 200 years ago, the word evangelical was the word for the abolitionists in England who were trying to get rid of slavery. And so I was like, oh, that's great. Evangelical means the people who are against slavery. So I've got the Christian thing going for me. I've got the Bible thing going for me. I've got the anti-slavery thing going for me. And so I became the president of TEAM, the Tip Canoe Evangelical Association of Ministers and Ministries, but I also learned that the word evangelical in the black church meant political party. It meant far right-wing edge of the Republican Party. And I was honestly a, just absolutely offended. I was offended that someone would use my term and give it some other meaning, and, and I thought they were ludicrous to, to do such a thing. But I decided, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and make some sacrifices to build some unity in this town. We're going to make some sacrifices to build some sort of bridge. And so we dropped the name team and we embraced the name Greater Lafayette Gospel Association. GLGA does not have the same ring that TEAM has to it, even though TEAM had two M's on it, and I always thought that was weird, but GLGA does not have the same ring, but we chose that as the name because it at least got rid of the word evangelical, and I didn't have a problem with evangelical. We just, I was just making a sacrifice for my African-American brothers and sisters until more recently I actually learned that evangelical back in England meant abolitionists. But in the United States, the term was fundamentalists. In the United States, the term fundamentalist stood for people who believed in the Bible as God's inspired word, authoritative and inerrant, and also believed in the segregation of the races. And so eventually, a group of people in the United States a rose that said, we like the Bible emphasis, we don't like the racism, and so we will call ourselves neo-evangelical. And they made sure they used the word neo-evangelical because they were not in England, they were over here in America. And back in the 60s, 50s, 70s, somewhere in those decades, I don't know the exact time frame, but someone decided that in order to oppose the political left, we needed to develop a moral majority, particularly those people who would be against abortion. We needed to develop a moral majority, and the only way to unify Christians is to come up with a term and strategies to bring them together. Strategies, will make it about the politics term, we'll call ourselves evangelical, and let's get both groups, the racist and the not-so-racist groups together. And so the African-American church has every reason to associate the word evangelical with a large portion of the racist history of the United States of America. That was a lesson I had to learn through learning more about history and through spending time with my black brothers and sisters to just hear what they had to say and maybe even make a little sacrifice along the way, even though I didn't agree or didn't understand but I want to get back to Rodney. Here's his next clip. What is your heart passion? You came all the way from New Jersey to here, for crying out loud, because of a ministry opportunity that was so compelling to you, you're like, I'm gonna take advantage of it. What is your heart's passion when it comes to ministry?
0: Yeah, so I had no idea what I was getting myself into, number one, when I accepted the position, um, as pastor and director of the Baptist Student Foundation. However, um, um, my heart's passion, and I'm sure they, it came through in the interview, is, is justice for all or social justice. Um, and what I mean by that is, is I believe that that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to you, Angelizo, right, to mm-hmm. preach the good news that broken, hearts would be, that broken hearts would be healed, blind eyes would be opened, and those who are captive and are fresh will be set free. Jesus came to set the captives free, you know. And so um, my, my passion is, is that everybody that would experience freedom.
1: Rodney said a word there that I want to show you euangelizo. This is it in Greek. This is how you pronounce it in English, euangelizo. It means to deliver a good message. And it is the same root word that we translate gospel. One of the interesting things about this word is that it shows up in Luke chapter 4, the passage that Rodney quoted. I want to share that passage with you now. It says this, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. By the way, finding something written in a scroll is more difficult than finding things in your Bible where you've got indexes and tables of contents and you know page numbers and stuff. Jesus knew his Isaiah scroll really well. You should know your Bible. It's a good thing. Anyway, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. And recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what he was saying is, I am the person I am reading about When I say the words, the spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus is saying, I am the me in that sentence. I am the one that this scripture was talking about, and I am standing here in front of you, and he says, he's on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Right here, proclaim good news, that's the word euangelizo. It's the word from which we get gospel. He is coming to proclaim gospel to the poor. He is here to preach the gospel to the poor. There's something about American Christianity... Where we have created a division, we've created a division between the spiritual gospel, the steps that have to be taken to get me to heaven, the steps that have to be taken to get me into a right relationship with God. We've spent a lot of time talking about the spiritual gospel, but Jesus is proclaiming the gospel to the poor. What does that mean? Well, if you keep reading the context, his proclamation involves things like freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blinds to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor here's the problem when Jesus says these things he is talking about a future kingdom that has not yet come he's talking about the future kingdom Isaiah was prophesying the future kingdom when freedom would come for the prisoners and blind people would see and all of this stuff the amazing thing is that Jesus actually makes blind people see Jesus actually does these things but what about the freedom what about the oppressed What about the year of the Lord's favor? We live in a weird world where Jesus has already come to fulfill this process. He has already come to fulfill this prophecy. But it's not fully fulfilled yet. So can we compartmentalize them? Can we say, oh, well, this thing is about the spiritual gospel and this thing is not? No, because he proclaims the gospel to the poor. There's something about this gospel that is more than just a spiritual thing. Let me share with you what he says in the book of John. John chapter 6. Jesus says to the people, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Yay! We love that. That sounds like evangelical white Christian thinking. The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. All I have to do is believe in Jesus. Wrong. The wrong part of that phrase was all I have to do. Because Jesus also said in John these words, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Here's the thing. We have a temptation in our world to separate the spiritual gospel from the practical gospel, the heavenly thing from the earthly thing, but we can't. Not if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't. If you want to follow a particular doctrine, then you can. You can follow the North American white evangelical Christian doctrine and separate spiritual from practical. You can be all about the spiritual. Unless the practical involves sharing a meal with your church. Unless the practical involves showing up in person at church. Unless the practical involves something to do with the church itself, its building or something else. Those practical things, yes, we'll talk about. But the practical things that involve proclaiming freedom for prisoners, we like to separate that one out. There was a time when I was critical of the black church for spending too much time talking about politics. But the more I spend time thinking about God's word, the more I realize that I've spent too much time ignoring people. I want to share with you another clip from Rodney. I want to quiz you something that I know you already know, but I'm just setting you up, okay? okay? (laughs) Set me up. Do you know what Micah six eight
0: says? I think I heard that somewhere. Uh huh. <laughs> could you could you quote it to us? Sure. Okay. So, um, Micah six and eight. So, what have I asked of you, O mortal man? Um, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our Lord. And That's paraphrase a little that's bit. That's a Rodney but Lynch version, yeah, Right, that's, but that's yeah. it's a good well, one. Old like. mortal man, what have I asked of you? But to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly of our law. And, and and it's and when you when you when that, it is exactly do justice? Don't say talk about it, mm-hmm. but do justice, um, love, mercy, kindness, and as Cornell West would say, justice is love on public display. You know, um, and so, but let me let me say this too, Jeff. You can't um, just talk about or um, reflect on verses eight without the context. Give it to one us one through seven. Uh huh. So God was it, it that message? Verses one through seven was an indictment on the church. Mm. Or or the temple. Or the or God. The, the people the people of the God and the of time. God. Let me put it like yeah. It was an indictment on the people of God that, you know, there were certain things happening in the place, in the temple, or the place of worship, that wasn't transitioning into the community. Mm. And and God is like, haven't I did this for you and did that for you? And and then the first thing the people asked respond and says I guess around verse six and seven, should we give you more sacrifices? Mm-hmm. But God is like, no. What have I? What? Do, what has I, I asked of you, old mortal man? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. In other words, what's happening inside this temple? It's fine, but it's not enough mm-hmm. if it's not doing anything in the community. Mm-hmm. You know, if widows are not being taken care of, if if children aren't being taken care of, you know, if if there's just if the community is is just reeking with injustice, but we having such a good time inside the temple or the church, I'm not so sure God is pleased with that. So that's
1: not one of those verses that you read and you say, "Okay, God doesn't really require that much of me. He only requires, right. <laughs> no. he only requires that you know I'm interested in justice and I I'm okay with mercy mm-hmm. and you know I'm humble." Before my God. You're saying it's... No,
0: it's, it's a, it, it, like you said, do justice. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> We've been called to action. That's, that's part of your heart's passion. I set you up because no, I know us. I know that's, that's big on your heart. I've heard Absolutely. you quote that passage, I don't know, maybe yeah. every time we get together. Yeah. Something along those lines. As that soon was as the
0: theme f- in my seminary, by the way.
1: Okay. <laughs> as soon yeah. as you start to get riled yeah. up, yeah. These, these are the words that begin to come out. And I'm just... Um, I'm fascinated that Old Testament obvious God's will words mm-hmm. don't infect us more deeply these days.
0: That's a that, that I was just talking about that in in the meeting I was in before I came here tonight. Mm. And um we were talking about it through the lens of um individualism. Mm. Because you know, uh, this Christianity that we know of in, in this this westernized Christianity, it, it seems to be so excessively individualistic. Mm-hmm. It's about me and I, all them personal pronouns, right? Save me, bless me, favor me, Lord, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, um, my salvation, and all this, you know, all this personal pronoun stuff, right? Yet, when we go back to the first Testament, is more communal. You know, God sent Moses to, to lead the children, plural, of Israel into the exodus out of enslavement. He didn't send Moses to, to just save Moses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. He sent Moses to save 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people, plural,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: not a person, if my people. Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God promises I will hear you, forgive you, and heal the entire land. Yes. So somehow we have missed it. Where where we went from first testament to second testament, or old and new testament, and we have lost that sense of community that really needs to be redeemed in in, in, in America. Yeah. I think as Christian people, we it, we really have to get back to the communal aspect and not this individualism. Well, individual theology
1: mm-hmm. has nothing to say about just the word justice. Correct. You, you can't <laughs> right. have any justice right. if you're only focused on your individual no. uh, self. Correct. Same, similar with mercy. Mercy doesn't exist if I'm only focusing That's on right.
0: myself. Right.
1: Rodney said, what's happening inside this temple is fine, but not enough. I asked him about Micah 6.8, as you heard, that because I, I've heard him talk about it so much. But I wanted to take you to the context he told us we needed to look at. Take a look at it with me. It says, hear, hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. That means God is about to accuse the people of Israel of something, and he wants the mountains around Israel to act as the jurors. The mountains around Israel to act as the jurors. So mountains, listen up. The Lord is bringing an accusation. You everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. God is suing the Israelites, and he's suing them, And he is wanting the earth to judge them. So anyway, keep going. This is what it says. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. He's like, okay, I've done all this stuff for you. What's wrong? He's going to tell them what he thinks is wrong with them in a little bit. But he starts by saying, what do you think is wrong? Well, the people get a little bit nervous and they're like, okay, God, um, just tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. They say this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The people are like, okay, God, what needs to happen to take care of my sin in my soul? What needs to happen to take care of my soul's sin? And in verse 8... The next verse, God gives them his real answer. But before I share it with you, I want to give you the rest of the context. We're going to skip ahead to verse 9. Take a look at this with me. It says, listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? And you're like, what? What? is going on here? What is a short ephah? What are false weights? What is all that about? Well, this is God's real accusation against the people. Are you ready for this? I'm sorry it's going to hurt a little bit. His real accusation against the people is that their treasures were ill-gotten. And you and I say, oh, yeah, but our treasures are fine. You know, we've earned everything that we've ever received. None of our treasures came to us through any sort of nefarious means whatsoever. We are completely innocent, and our treasures are pure. God is accusing them of having ill-gotten treasures. You wicked house, he says, and the short ephah. Wait, what? The short ephah. Back then, the ephah was a measurement unit. It, It was a bucket uh, like a a, a bucket or, or a barrel or something like that. And ephah was a containment unit. And if you were selling your wheat, you would want to sell people an ephah of wheat. But if you could possibly, before you got to the market cut your efa barrel down just one centimeter below other people's efa bar- barrels, then no one would know your barrel was shorter, but you would make just that much more money than all of your competitors. And so you could charge the same or lower than the rest of the competitors because your margins were better, and as a result, you would become richer. A short efa was a cheating method for the people who had... To take advantage of the people who didn't have. Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales? Someone, before they go to the market, they take their scale and they calibrate it in just such a way that when they push a button on it or whatever, then it automatically adjusts in their favor. With a bag of false weights, this is a person who has weights in their bag, but their one kilogram weight actually only weighs a little bit different than that, just so it's in their favor. Do you see what God is accusing them of? He's accusing them of economic disparity. He's accusing them of manipulating a system so that those who have continue to have and get more, and those who need get less. God is accusing them of being people who are employing economics to discriminate. God says, your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. And now he's accusing them of violence and deceit. So what does he say? Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. God's statement to his people was, you have been discriminatory. You have taken advantage of those with less. And as a result, I am going to ruin you. And what's the solution? Micah 6.8, in the middle where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's all you have to do. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. That's walking humbly with Him. He wants you to love mercy where you rejoice when someone gets something that they didn't deserve. And He wants you to be a person who solves the problems. To act justly. Rodney said in his little clip there, this Christianity that we know of, it seems to be so excessively individualistic. Save me, bless me, favor me, Lord. And then he quoted a passage that I was honestly stunned he was quoting. It's this one. 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And the reason that is so astonishing to me that he quoted that verse is that I cannot tell you the number of times I was in the context of a group of white people who used this verse to pray against the evils of abortion or to use this verse to pray against the evils of what happened happened in the protests over the summer, or to use this verse to pray against anything else that they perceived as infiltrating the white Christianity that they were comfortable with. I have been in so many white church contexts where this is the verse, and this phrase here at the bottom, heal their land, meant, they never said this out loud but when you ask them what they meant by it, the things they listed off always said this. It meant, God, I want you to reinstitute Christianity and Christian laws as the way things work in this world. And when I say Christian laws, I mean all of the ones that I have been taught to believe in my little cultured environment. There's a problem with that interpretation of this passage though it misses the verse before start at verse 13 god says when i shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways God says, there's coming a day when I'm going to judge you. There's coming a day where I'm going to be against you. There's coming a day when I'm going to send a plague among my people. And in that day, if you get it together, if you humble yourselves, if you pray, if you seek my face, and you turn from all of the wicked ways, the same God who said this is the same God who wrote The words, who gave the words to Micah to write down. The same God who says wicked ways here is the same God who's talking about the injustice in Micah's prophecy. The same God who talks about the ruining of the people in Micah's prophecy is the same God who gives us the solution here. They're the same concept, the same God. Turning from your wicked ways is to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And if you do that, he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And he doesn't mean that heal their land is when we get our laws passed. Healing the land means what it's always meant. When God spoke to Abraham... He said to Abraham, guess what? I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. When the people of Israel entered the promised land, he said, guess what? This is a land flowing with milk and honey. You will lend to many nations but borrow from none. God's blessing on his people always involves them blessing to others. Jesus would say the exact same thing. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm sharing all this just to let you know. God is a God of justice. And his justice means he wants the right things to happen, even if the right thing is your punishment. But if you turn from him and you embrace his justice, he will not only bring you back, he will also cause you to be a blessing on the land in which you live. That's healing the land. Bringing that blessing of God to the land in which you live. Let me play for you the next clip from Rodney. Before 2020, Mm -hmm. your efforts of doing justice in this community Mm -hmm. involved telling truth, Mm -hmm. you said. Correct. So before 2020, what was the truth? What were the truths Mm -hmm. that were the most important for you to communicate?
0: That Jesus... has come <laughs> to set the captives free. You know, um the truth of the matter is and and that that we we do good. We do church real good. Mm. We go to church. That ritual is easy. You know, we do church real good. But being in the church is a problem. And 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 the truth of the matter how do we get Folks to understand that 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 the truth of the matter is what we're doing here on a, on a Sunday morning for an hour or four hours is that really pleasing to God if it's not transitioning into the community and I'm not just talking about charity, you know what I'm saying yeah. there's a difference between between charity and justice, matter of fact. It says do justice. They don't say do charity, right? Yeah. The text, Micah 6 eight, Because charity is it. i give you a prime example. The food pantry, right? Charity, we get donations all the time, and we should, right? Um, you know, to keep the, full pa- the food pantry stocked, right? Folks love to give charity. Folks will give money. For, for food, we, we do that very very well The question is If you want to go from charity to justice The question is Why is Over 40% Of Purdue students And colleges of, like that 40% of their students Suffering from food insecurity
1: hmm.
0: That's the That's the question about justice So charity is great and we need that but how do we put a, a food pantry out of business? Exactly. Which would mean a nobody or camp is hungry or don't have access to healthy foods. Charity
1: is when you meet the need once, justice is when you solve the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Rodney said, Jesus has come to set the captives free. That's his fundamental ministry attitude. He then said, we do church real good, but being the church is a problem. He then asked, is it really pleasing to God if it's not transitioning into the community? And at the end, he asked a question that never, ever, 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 ever has shown up in any church I have ever been in my entire life. How do we put a food pantry out of business. My mind is blown. We've been asking the wrong questions. We thought that what it meant to do justice in this world, we thought that what it meant to do ministry in this world is charity. Help a person with this one need. And if they need it again, help them again. And if they need it again, help them again. And if they need it again, help them again. Because every time I help them, I feel like I'm doing something right. In the longer version of this clip, he talks about watching Bill O'Reilly brag about giving a million dollars to some charity, and, and Rodney was asking himself the question, but why does the charity need a million dollars? What is the systemic problem in our world that causes that charity to have such a big need that it needs a million dollars from this person? The question is, how do we put the food pantry out of business? That's the question of justice. Now, here's my problem, and it might be your problem too. So much of my life has been building up a belief system that, although completely inconsistent with itself in one particular way, is still nonetheless ingrained in me. Let me walk you through it. The doctrine we believe, people's biggest problem is sin. That's true. Their biggest problem is sin. Number two, people need Jesus to solve their problem. That's true. You can't solve your sin problem on your own. You are helpless to solve your sin problem on your own. You need Jesus, His forgiveness, His atoning death on the cross. This doctrine is true. But there's a cultural doctrine that I have brought up, been brought up to believe as well. People need to solve their own problems. People need to solve their own problems. And so we churches do this weird mix because we know these things don't coexist. And so we do this weird mix. We say in spiritual terms, when it comes to sin, Jesus solves that problem. But in all other problems, you got to solve it yourself. In all the other problems, you have to solve it yourself. And if you don't solve it yourself, then you are an irresponsible person and you deserve what you get. Justice in the Bible has two meanings as well. Meaning, number one, when bad behavior is punished. Justice is whenever the bad behavior gets punished. The bad person gets punished. But justice in the Bible also means when the right thing happens. It's because the Bible word justice is actually just the word righteousness, and we translate it in two different ways when we translate the Bible into English. The word in the original text in both Hebrew and in Greek is just righteousness. It's the right thing to do to punish bad behavior sometimes, and it's the right thing to do to make the right thing happen. But then there's this lie that this right thing and this justice thing causes to show up in my heart. And it's the lie that if I'm blessed, it's because I deserve it. Or or it's because God chose to bless me, and since God made that choice, I now deserve it. Does that make sense? It's not that I intrinsically deserve it, but God at some point in time decided that he would bless me this way. And because he made that choice, he valued me that much. He declared me to be worthy of this blessing. Therefore, I deserve it. Therefore, I now have this blessing. But if someone else is having problems, it's their own fault. Because hey, God wouldn't be bringing those problems into their life, Right? They're just missing out on some blessing that they really could have if they would just get their act together. Listen, I know these things are contradictory. I know these things don't make a lot of sense, but they have been in my heart, and maybe they've been in your heart. So I'm going to remind you of one of the central truths of the New Testament and the Old Testament. Grace is God solving our problem. This last week in our 21 days of prayer, my wife made a video based on Titus, and she pointed something out that I'd never noticed before. It says this... At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And I have always read this verse all by itself, Titus 3, 5, all by itself. When the kindness and love of God our Savior, he saved us. I have always read that verse by itself. I've never actually actually paid attention to the context that came before it when it said that we were people of envy and malice and hating one another. See, Paul's point in this passage is to say, we used to be malicious people, but God showed kindness and saved us. So the implication is, stop being a malicious person. Because God has saved you from that. And he didn't save you from being angry at you. He saved you by his kindness. And so if God's grace means he's solving our problem, for us, that means it should prompt our kindness. I've got a couple more clips from Rodney. I saved them till now. Because the less dedicated of you have probably already tuned out. And these ones are hard. These ones are difficult. They're challenging. The first time I heard Rodney say some of these words, I got pretty mad. I held it in. I did argue with him a little bit. But I'm playing these clips for you because, as I said before, I'm committed to listening to him And I'm committed to expressing kindness, the kindness of my Savior, by trying to understand where he's coming from. I feel like I've mostly reached that by this point in time. But for the rest of our time, most of what you hear is going to be his words. I'm going to just read some Bible passages. These clips are going to be difficult, but I want us to sit with them for a little while. Let's do the next one.
0: When I first came here to this area, um, <clears throat> I didn't know how white it was. Number one, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Real talk, <laughs> I really did. Right? I tell. I knew the only thing I knew about Indiana was driving through Indianapolis to get to St. Louis from New Jersey because that's mm-hmm. where my wife is from. Right? Okay. We okay. used to take that trip like three times a year. Yeah, I never went north on oh, sixty-five <laughs> north. I was straight through Indianapolis. Right, but and i got here and with all the the chaos out in across the nation and and how uh policing african americans we have seen all these videos of right of unarmed, unarmed african american men women and children being gunned down you know the first thing i did was go meet the mayor and the chief of police mm. Because I have a wife and three sons coming here too, right? And you need to know who we are in this community. And, you know, I'm a new faith leader in the community. And I know before I'm a faith leader in this community, I'm a black male walking in this community, right? So once I did that, and I think I was talking to one of the officers one day, and they asked me would I like to or consider being a uh, one of their um, chaplains. And, you know, where I'm from? You don't ride around with police <laughs> at all. Kind of you gotta a, lose it, some street crap. You riding around police talking yeah, about you doing a a ride on you along. A you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? But what I realized if I'm gonna do justice, I have to I have to not think about self. If it mm. is back to individualism, right? Mm-hmm. I could have thought it just about me and been like, I am not ride I'm not gonna do no ride alongs with police trying But I saw something broader than that. What I'm going to do is yes, I'm gonna except being a, um, I'm a volunteer to, to be a police chaplain. I'm going to do ride-alongs with these police officers so that I can get to know them and they can also get to know me. Yeah, yeah. And that's bigger than just me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, I shouldn't have to be the one who 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 will demonstrate another side of blackness as a black male. You know what I'm saying? Because we're so weaponized or we're, you know, one we have one bad apple, then we all got to wear that burden. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, And we shouldn't have to do that. However, I'm like, you know, if they can see me in a different light and if they can just recognize my humanity, right, then uh, it goes beyond just me but all the other interactions they may have with African-American people. That's doing justice to me.
1: So in that clip, you get to hear just a little bit of... Rodney's perspective on the world around him and you and I might not share the same exact ideas about what it would be like to ride in a police car or what it would mean to have a a good relationship with a police officer or any of those other things but the point that I want you to get from that is Rodney's simple idea that he is going to take personal sacrifices to change the way he views things so that he can be part of a broader work of justice in this community. I want to jump
0: right into the next one. Here we go. So, Jeff, for me, nothing has changed because I'm not learning nothing that I didn't already know. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe some people, mostly white people, are surprised by all this, you know, uh, by the George Floyd murder, or uh, I mean, a a 21st century lynching on national television. And to be so callous as if, This is what we do in the camera Mm -hmm. and not think that you're going to wreak the wrath of God. (laughs) You know, it's something wrong with that picture. But that ain't nothing new, though. You know, um, I think I think 2020 has um, has finally made uh, the black voice truthful in a sense, (laughs) You know what okay. I mean because we were so un. No, it can't be that bad. I'm gonna give you an example. I was talking to a a, a brother of mine, um, white brother, and he came to me last Friday, and he said, "Rodney, you know when you first got here, you had been saying how bad it really is with institutional and systemic racism, and I just couldn't buy it was that bad. It it can't be that bad." He said that I'm here to repent. Because mm. you were right all along, mm. you know what I mean, and he realized that this year. he realized this after the the, the insurrectionists at the Capitol well, last week, he realized that last week. <laughs> wow, what I've been saying for four years since being here, yeah, you know it is that bad, my brother. but the problem is individualism again, right, it you don't think it's touching you, so, so then you don't believe it. Because it's not really touching you the way it touches another human being. So 2020 didn't
1: bring anything new to nah, your surface. At all. Not at all. But it made it so stark for other people. Correct. That it's just possible that truth can now finally Correct. get that understood. They, exactly. Well, I got to admit that 2020 <laughs> for me um, did that for me mm-hmm. last spring. Okay. When I saw the eyes of people that I knew and cared about. Mm-hmm walking in the march downtown mm-hmm. in response mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. George, George Floyd. Floyd's killer, yeah. And um, I remember in, the, in that moment recognizing that this was a hurt mm-hmm. that I didn't feel, mm-hmm. but I needed to. Mm-hmm. I needed to share that hurt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even though that hurt had never touched my life before, mm-hmm. That's not because of other people. That's because of me. Mm-hmm. That's because I haven't let that hurt get in. Right. Right. And so what you're saying about uh, justice being the kind of thing that is when we get out of our individualism, I, I can tell you I sense that. Listen, man,
0: until we get to the point as a people where when I hurt another human being, not only am I hurting that human being, not only am I hurting myself, I'm hurting God. Hmm. when when you do it to the least of these my brother and sister and you're doing it to me that's the words of jesus matthew 25 31 through 45 somewhere right oh when that you, whole chapter that freaks whole, me out right <laughs> right right it's, it's about the end times right well, and it's about it's about if you don't do these things <laughs> don't that i've told things. you to do but see here's here's the, here's the problem we think it's all about a confession. Hmm. Oh, I, I, I confess Jesus as my Lord and say, I'm good. Not according to Jesus. If you look at his teachings. Read the red words, they'll freak you out. <laughs> you know, and then what, what else I learned in 2020 that, that, that was my, my, my the most hopeful moment for me. Okay. Was this. Post George Floyd's murder on national television. To see young people. And, and the, just to see the inner generations globally be protesting all across the world under the Black Lives Matter movement, right? When I saw the, 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 the energy of the young people, and this is where my hope comes from, comes from the energy of the young people um, and the memory of us older folks or the, or the, the memory, the, the wisdom together. That's where my hope is. Mm. But my, my, my hope is more so in the young people. So you're saying that in a sense, 2020 gave you more hope than you had before. After the, the protest, yes. But it quickly died, though. Because when the last time you heard anybody mention George Floyd's name? It's been a long time. And I just think, this, let me tell you something else about what I learned about uh, 2020. If America can put so much emphasis on saving lives due to COVID, if we just put half of that effort into saving black lives. William Barber II said, America is too comfortable with the, with the, hmm. with the dying of other bodies, with the deaths of other bodies. You know, we don't care about those bodies, but you know those bodies are creating the image of God as well, yeah. and been given the breath of God. We don't understand Jeff. Not only am I connected to you as a male, not only am I connected to my 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 my, my siblings uh, biologically, um, or not only are we connected through Jesus, but before all of that, we are connected to the human race because not only did God create both of us in God's image, God decided to breathe the breath of Yahweh in us. Hmm. That's God's choice, right? That's what connects us before anything else. I'm connected to the human race, whether, whether the person is Muslim, whether the person is Jewish, whether the person is Christian, whether the person is Buddha or Baha'i or whatever faith tradition it is, whether the person is black, white, whether the person is Latinx, whether the person is male or female, I'm connected to the, the human race because God decided to give us the breath, hmm. period. And until we understand that, We ain't ever going to do no real justice because we don't think it's touching men. and, And injustice anywhere affects justice everywhere. This quote,
1: 2020 has finally made the black voice truthful, is what Rodney said. In brackets, I put there believable because I think that's that's how I'm reading it and I think that's what he meant. He didn't mean that black people were now starting to tell the truth if you want to be super critical about the grammar of his statement. But if you just read it, you say 2020 has finally made their voice a little bit more heard. People are now looking at that voice and they're saying, oh, there's some truth there. He also said, his friend, came to him and said, I'm here to repent. At the end of Matthew 25, Rodney quotes this line. Jesus, talking about himself as the judge of the world, says, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The challenge is, that Jesus gives his followers is to do justice, to do mercy for other people. Rodney said, We think it's all about a confession. You know, I confess Jesus as my Lord, I believe in him, I asked him into my heart, I've got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven. But Jesus said, Depart from me, to those people who did not do, to the least of these. Listen, if Jesus matters to you, then the least of these matter to you. If Jesus matters to me, if Jesus matters to this church, then the least of these matter to us. And if the least of these lives matter to us, then we can definitely say the poor lives matter. And if we can say the poor lives matter, we can say black lives matter. And listen, I know there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of issues with the term and the movement and the slogans and all that stuff, but for crying out loud. Do they or don't they? If Jesus matters, if all lives matter, then black lives matter. Say it. Rodney says this. What gave me hope was to see people all over the world protesting under the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm embarrassed and ashamed that in 2020, his greatest hope came from something completely secular. I am embarrassed and ashamed that his greatest hope was seeing people outside of the United States. I'm embarrassed and ashamed that his greatest hope came from particularly the young people and not the people who are older and wiser and know better than what they're doing. I'm particularly ashamed that people in my circle Have intentionally avoided even speaking the words Black Lives Matter because they don't want to be associated with those people, whatever they define those people as. But God said, I have made all people in my image. Genesis, right after the flood. God says to Noah, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made mankind. If anybody dies, the person who causes their death should die. Because it's in the image of God that God has made people. And so because people bear the image of God, people have the dignity of God's image in them and their life matters. And because people bear the image of God, the life of other people matters and they are the judge. And so because they are in the position of the image of God, they should bring justice to the world. The image of God does both. The image of God has dignity, and that life matters. And the image of God has responsibility, and they need to do something to bring justice into this world. Rodney's got a couple more things to say. Let's watch this one. So for you, sin and our need to be liberated and forgiven from sin is not to be liberated for uh, for us to be forgiven for us to be for us to be forgiven and liberated from sin
0: correct Mm -hmm. it is
1: not necessarily only an individual thing absolutely not. and it's not necessarily only a moral slash spiritual thing sin can be systemic
0: right it absolutely is and
1: as a result the solution also needs to be somewhat systemic
0: absolutely I asked the question earlier. We didn't come to a conclusion, but the question I asked the panel I was with earlier tonight, we was talking about uh, not not just uh, forgiveness, but repentance. And how do we move America to repentance mm. of all the years of oppression of other people, of certain people? you know. And, and I'm not just talking about black people. Poor white people are being oppressed too, by the way. <laughs> There's been a lot of oppression. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do we get America to America is one of the greatest nations in the world, but it's also been one of the evilest in history, you know, and we can't just push it aside talking about we want some unity yeah, yeah. <laughs> or reconciliation. You can't have unity or any type of conciliation without accountability. And you sure as heck can't have forgiveness without repentance.
1: Yeah.
0: Jesus yeah. came preaching, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And so the, our job, and I, I, I cry out to, to all of us who 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 believe in the religion of Jesus, as Howard Thurman would put it, you know, who, who believe in that, that that Jesus came to set the captives free. And so I I, I urge us to get back to the mental mentality of being communal minded and less individualistic because i don't think individualism is very christian at all Uh, or very christ-like at all
1: no and and you don't even have to you you said it yourself in the first testament individualism is not present i don't think it's present in the new testament either you read the book of ephesians and it's like why did christ come he came to unify in one body these two and make them one correct
0: Um, and he was talking to a community of people a community of (laughs) of Jews and And, Greeks who hated each other's guts
1: and needed to recognize that Christ was the reconciler. that's right I'm going to end it today with just a couple verses in that last little clip there Rodney was talking about the people who believed in the religion of Jesus that word bugs me you know I've I've heard for a long time, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship between you and God, as if the only thing that mattered was you and God, me and God. How individualistic is that? Christianity is not about just one relationship. Christianity is about a family Christianity is about a God who creates the entire human race. Christianity is about a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, not by themselves, not as individuals, but with him and his family. I said I didn't like the word religion, but I should like it because James liked it. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Okay, so if you have loose lips, your religion is worthless. If you have deceitful lips, your religion is worthless. That's a pretty strong indictment about some of the things we saw in Micah 6.8, but I wonder what is he going to say here? What is the religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless? Is it the people who sing the right songs in the right way? Is it the people who go to the right church at the right time? Is it the people who read the right Bible in the right order? Is it the people who pray the right way? Is it the people who vote the right way? What is the kind of religion that God accepts as pure and faultless and all other religion is not valid. What is the one true religion? You ready? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a spiritual component. There's a practical component. True Christians True followers of Jesus do both. I'm going to skip the last clip I have from Rodney. It'll be available on our website and on YouTube this week. But in this last clip, he quotes a verse from Ephesians that is worth looking at. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And my standard practice is to pay attention to now to Him, God's ability, more than we ask or imagine. I love that. And to Him be glory in the church. I want our church to be experiencing the glory of God. But let me just remind you of this part in the middle, the part that Rodney mentioned. According to His power that is at work within us. If I want to see God's immeasurably great work done in this world, I have to recognize it is not about me. If I want to see God's immeasurably great work being done in this world, I have to realize it's not about the people who are like me. If I want to see God's immeasurably great power at work in this world, I need to recognize it is about His power at work in us. Listen, I desperately beg you to join our community this year so we can be a people who are in us, who are trying to live out the immeasurably great power of God at work in our lives. I want you to join us next week. I want you to be part of the thing that we're doing next week. I want you to sign the commitment. I want you to embrace what we're talking about because we desperately need to be in us because this world desperately needs an us to be in it so that God's immeasurably great power can be released. And so I ask you to join me in praying this prayer to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want you to be glorifying Jesus. I want you to be in the midst of us, whatever that means, virtually or physically, however we can do it. But more than all those things, I want you to be a person who walks in the power of the God who does immeasurably great things. And the things that he consistently calls us to do are to be people who are faithful and do justice. Don't separate the two. Let's be people of both. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So, if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.